0: We really have two buckets. We have U.S. source income that is effectively connected and U.S. uh, source income that is not effectively connected. If it is not effectively connected, then it's taxed at, at a flat 30%. The fact that it is either effectively connected or not effectively connected is simply to determine how it is taxed, not if it is taxed.
1: You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to US Update 15 of Text Talks, US 15. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. When you have Australian entities selling into the US, to what extent are their profits taxable in the US if there was no treaty, no double tax agreement? Well, You might say that it doesn't really matter since there is a treaty and this treaty will most likely move all taxing rights on these business profits from the U.S. to Australia unless you have a permanent establishment in the U.S. So it doesn't really matter how business sales into the U.S. are taxed as per U.S. primary law. And you are right. But wouldn't it be better if we understood the foundations before we put a house on it? Or in other words, if we understood the U.S. position before we use the treaty to pull the taxing rights away from the US. So, over the next seven episodes, it will get very nerdy with a fair bit of confusion along the way. And when I say episodes, of course, I mean over the next seven US updates. So, if you just want to have a high-level understanding, or if you don't even have clients selling into the US, then please skip the next seven US updates, or just listen to the summary update at the very end of all this. But... If you are happy to look at specific sections of the Internal Revenue Code and if you don't mind a bit of confusion, then please come along for the ride. It will be very interesting and you will get a much better insight into how the US handles the tax position of Australian businesses selling into the US. So in this US update, let's start to look at the actual sections in the US Internal Revenue Code as they relate to Australian entities selling merchandise into the U.S. Here's Gary Carter of GW Carter in Edina, Minnesota, who has been advising Australian clients trading in the U.S. for decades. I started by asking Gary whether there is such a thing as citizenship of companies. I had read an article about how the citizenship of a multi-member LLC is determined by the citizenship of its members. So I asked Gary what this concept of citizenship of companies is
0: is about section 1-1c says every person born or naturalized in the united states and subject to its jurisdiction is a citizen there's nothing that defines a citizen actually in the in the code itself this doesn't help that much because a person is not just an individual you probably know this for, for tax purposes the general definition section is 7701 and person is defined in 7701a and person includes uh, an individual, a trust, state, partnership, association, company, or corporation. So a person is a corporation, but a citizen, it does not make clear that a citizen is just an individual. And it, so it's an interesting concept because, see, as individuals, we can renounce our U.S. citizenship. So it'd be interesting if Microsoft or Amazon could renounce their U.S. citizenship, but uh, I don't think so. <laughs> So a corporation can be either a domestic corporation or a foreign corporation. A domestic corporation is a U.S. person, but nowhere is it defined as a U.S. citizen. It's really irrelevant for tax purposes, but um, it's an interesting concept.
1: A corporation formed in the U.S., is always a U.S. tax resident with one exception, and that's the uh, SMLLC, but let's put that aside. So a corporation formed in the U.S. is always a U.S. tax resident and a corporation formed outside of the U.S. is never a U.S. tax resident. Is that a fair comment?
0: Yeah, a U.S. domestic corporation is a U.S. person, which means that they're a U.S. resident. And yes, a, a foreign corporation I mean, it depends on when they're formed, so they can't, um, unlike a U.S. citizen, a U.S., a domestic corporation can't renounce its um, status, It, it has to, it's a domestic corporation.
1: Domestic corporation and U.S. person is the same thing, correct? Or actually, no, it isn't, because a U.S. person can also be a partnership or can be a trust or can be a whole lot of things. Domestic corporations is just one form of a U.S. person, correct?
0: That's correct, yeah.
1: So... A domestic corporation is always a US person and hence a US tax resident. A foreign corporation is never a US person and hence never a US tax resident. Correct? Correct. Okay, <laughs> we're making good progress. Now coming to the single member LLC, so SM LLC, single member LLC. For SM if they haven't made an 8832 election, then they are a disregarded entity and so they are not a tax resident. They are a nothing in the US, correct? Apart from the obligation to file a 5472 and a pro forma 1120, but apart from that very specific filing obligation, they are completely disregarded in the US. So when we come later to you know the question whether there is a US trade or business or whether there is effectively connected income or any of these other questions, The SMLLC is always disregarded. Is that
0: right? It is disregarded for most purposes. I wouldn't say that it's not a U.S. tax resident. I would say that it's simply ignored and and the residency of the owner is looked at rather than the uh, entity.
1: Yeah, that's actually true. And for many purposes, the single member LLC is actually not disregarded. It's only disregarded for federal tax purposes. But for example, for some state tax purposes, like in California, the sales receipts tax, for those purposes, it's not disregarded. So it's only disregarded for federal tax purposes, but it's disregarded, but it's still a tax resident as such. That's what you're saying, correct?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's always a domestic. It's always, uh, I would say, would be considered a U.S. person. It is domestic. A domestic entity is any entity that was uh, organized uh, in the United States. So rather than foreign, it is domestic. And it is um, only for purposes of 6038A uh, is it treated as a corporation. And that's the only federal purpose. 6038A is the, is the section that imposes the uh, Form 5472 requirement. And so I pretend it's a separate corporate entity for that purpose.
1: Even with the uh, single member LLC, if it's formed in the U.S., it's always a U.S. tax resident. It never stops being a tax resident, even when it's disregarded. It's still a U.S. tax resident and a foreign corporation, so for example, an Australian Propriety Limited would never be a U.S. tax resident because it's not it wasn't formed in the U.S.
0: Correct.
1: No. Whether they are tax residents or not, it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have to pay any tax, but it just means we come from a different angle, whether they are tax resident or not. Tax residency is really the starting point. With a U.S. person, so who is a U.S. tax resident, all income is in unless the DTA pulls it out. Whereas with a non-resident, so with a non-U.S. person, no income is in the U.S. tax net unless it gets pulled in either through specific rules under U.S. primary law or under the DTA. But the starting position for a non-resident is basically everything is out unless it gets pulled in. And for a resident, the starting position is basically everything is in unless it gets pulled out. Do you
0: agree? The uh, Section 11 of the code, of the Internal Revenue Code, is is what taxes corporations, imposes a tax on corporations.
1: Let me just quickly read parts of Section 11 to you. A. A tax is hereby imposed for each taxable year on the taxable income of every corporation. B. The amount of tax imposed by subsection A shall be 21% of taxable income. And then there is paragraph D of section 11. And this paragraph is really important because it already points at a section that Gary will mention shortly. And it is section 882. And this section 882 will already cause a lot of confusion in the next US update. But for now, just very quickly, section 11 D says, in the case of a foreign corporation, the tax imposed by subsection A shall apply only as provided by Section 882. So a foreign corporation only pays tax on income to the extent that Section 882 stipulates it. So that is Section 11. Back to Gary.
0: The uh, Section 11 of the code, of the Internal Revenue Code, is, is what taxes corporations, imposes the tax on corporations. It kind of starts differently. It's, it just says the tax under Section 11 is imposed on every corporation. And then there's a carve-out for foreign corporations. It's limited only to U.S. source income or income effectively connected with the U.S. trader business. And that's, that's in, a, that's in a Section 882.
1: So here is Section 882. And this will also be very relevant in the next U.S. update, Update 16, and then also again in Update 18. And so here is what Section 882 says. A. One. A foreign corporation engaged in trade or business within the United States during the taxable year shall be taxable as provided in Section 11. And you heard Section 11 before. So shall be taxable as provided in Section 11 on its taxable income, which is effectively connected with the conduct of a trade or business within the United States. Two. In determining taxable income for purposes of paragraph 1, gross income includes only gross income which is effectively connected with the conduct of a trade or business within the United States. And then under B it says, and we will come to that later and in the next US update, but let's just read B as well. In the case of a foreign corporation, gross income includes only one Gross income which is derived from sources within the United States and which is not effectively connected with the conduct of a trade or business within the United States. And two, gross income which is effectively connected with the conduct of a trade or business within the United States. So, can you see how this is really confusing? Under A, it basically just says a foreign corporation engaged in trade or business within the united states is only taxable on its income which is effectively connected and then under b it suddenly says that gross income includes income that is not effectively connected so can you see how that is confusing but this is just a hint at what we will discuss more in the next u.s update so for now just take it on board that section 882 plays a crucial role in the taxable income of a foreign corporation. Back to Gary.
0: Section 11 kind of starts differently. It says every, every, every corporation is, is subject to the corporate income tax.
1: You mentioned two very good terms that I wanted to ask you about. And that is, what is the difference between U.S. sourced income and effectively connected income?
0: Well, there's different sourcing rules for different types of income. And those are in uh, Section 861, 862, 863. So there's various, there's a bunch of rules on, on what's U.S. sourced and what isn't U.S. sourced.
1: So now we get to the sourcing rules in Section 861, 862 and 863. And those sourcing rules are very important because they determine to what extent income is U.S. sourced or foreign-sourced, and that is a major factor in determining whether the U.S. has taxing rights under U.S. primary law. So you have 861, 862, and 863. And I know we already discussed this in the last U.S. update, U.S. update number 14, but now let's actually drill down into the actual wording of the legislation, not so much because there is an issue, but just so that you have looked at the actual source of the law. 861, so the first of the three sourcing rules, 861 is about US-sourced income. 862 is about foreign-sourced income. And then 863 is about income that is partly US-sourced and partly foreign-sourced. And so it has some rules about how you apportion the whole thing. But 863 also has one other very important rule. And that is that it governs the source of income for manufactured inventory. So for produced inventory, 861 and 862 only talks about purchased inventory. So then 863 talks about manufactured inventory. And so now let me just very quickly read you those sections because you're driving or walking and so you can't look this up right now. So 861A just says in general, the following items of gross income shall be treated as income from sources within the United States. And yeah, within the United States is obvious. It means from inside the United States. The following items of gross income shall be treated as income from sources within the United States. And then there is a list. Number one is interest. Number two is dividends. Number three, let me just quickly scroll down. Number three is personal services. Number four is rents and royalties. Number five is the sale of real estate. And then number six is where we want to be. Number six is about the sale or exchange of inventory. And so it says gains profits and income derived from the purchase of inventory property. And the stress here is on purchase. So gain profits and income derived from the purchase of inventory property without the United States and without the United States just means from outside of the United States and its sale or exchange within the United States is US sourced income. So if you buy something outside of the States and then sell it in the States, it is U.S. sourced income, and then 862 basically has identical wording and has an identical structure. It starts in A with saying the following items of gross income shall be treated as income from sources without the United States, and then it's the same list: one is interest, two is dividends, three is personal services, four is rents and or royalties, five is the sale of real estate, and the basically always says just if it's not. Within the United States, if it's not U.S. sourced income, then it's foreign sourced income. It basically just says that. And then under number six, as before, it discusses the sale of inventory. And there it basically looks at the opposite scenario. So under 861, you had inventory that was purchased overseas and sold in the U.S. And that was U.S. sourced. But now it says gains profits and income derived from the purchase of inventory property within the United States and its sale or exchange without the United States. And so what it means is purchase of inventory in the States and then you sell it overseas. That is foreign sourced income. And then we come to 863 and there under B at the end is it first of all under 2 you have the sale or exchange of inventory property produced either without the states or within the states but the main focus is on produced so number 2 covers produced and then at the end of B it makes a very important comment it says gains, profits and income from the sale or exchange of inventory property described in paragraph two shall be allocated and apportioned between sources within and without the United States solely on the basis of the production activities with respect to the property. And I'm sorry, my accent really came out there <laughs> big time. So it basically just says wherever you manufacture, that is the source of the income. So if you manufacture outside of the States, then it is foreign sourced. If you manufacture within the states, that income is U.S. sourced. So these are the sourcing rules and they're actually quite straightforward, I find. If it's purchased, then wherever the customer is, that's where your source of income is. If it's manufactured, then wherever you produce the inventory, that is the source of the income. Quite straightforward. So back to Gary.
0: If the dividends and interest are from a U.S. domestic corporation, they're a U.S. person, then they're U.S. source. There's a personal service income. So if an Australian resident forms a web design business and does business with U.S. clients, that is not U.S. source income. Personal service income is sourced
1: where the person is,
0: where the services are performed, and sourcing. I'm saying it's for non-residents of the United States. Every everything that is earned or received by a U.S. person is U.S. source income, basically, or at least it's taxed in the U.S. It, it can be can be foreign sourced, and then we've got different rules, and but it's still included in in the tax base. The sale of inventory, for example, if a uh, if an Australian person is selling inventory in the U.S., even though they don't rise to the level of a of U.S. trader business, let's say. And that, that's, uh, who knows what that is. <laughs> but uh, let's say they don't have a U.S. trader business, but they're selling inventory uh, to U.S. customers. That is U.S. source income, just under the statutory rules in, in H61.
1: Okay, so you can have U.S. sourced income from the sale of inventory, even when you don't have a U.S. trader
0: business? Yep, H61, I think it's eight 61 a 6 Inventory sold to U.S. customers. If, it's, if title passes in the U.S., that's U.S. source income.
1: So we have different buckets for different types of income.
0: We really have two buckets. We have U.S. source income that is effectively connected and U.S. source income that is not effectively connected. If it is not effectively connected, then it's taxed at a flat 30%. If it's effectively connected to a U.S. trader business, now it can be effectively connected to a U.S. trader business, even though you don't have a U.S. trader business. But if it's considered effectively connected, then it's taxed at the graduated rates. So you got those two buckets. You've also got capital gains. You know, there's a separate rate that applies to capital gains, long-term capital gains. Capital gains can be either effectively connected or not effectively connected, depending on the situation.
1: So U.S. sourced income is not the same like effectively connected. You can have U.S. source income that is not effectively connected and effectively connected is just to a U.S. trade or business, correct? That's, that's all what effectively connected is about, correct?
0: Yeah, the, the real determination is whether it's U.S. source or not U.S. source. If it's U.S. source, it's either treated as effectively connected or it's treated as not effectively connected. If it is not specifically treated as not effectively connected, it's deemed to be effectively connected. So an example would be, well, rental income is by default not effectively connected to a trader business, but you can elect to make it effectively connected, in which everyone should do. Because if it isn't, then the, the gross rental income is taxed at, the, at a flat 30% rate. If it's treated as effectively connected, then you get all your deductions. And the net income is taxed at, at, uh, at graduated rates.
1: So if something is not effectively connected, so if something is not ECI, then you can't claim any d- deductions?
0: Yeah, if, if it's not effectively connected, there are no deductions. It's taxed a flat 30%, the, 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 the non treaty rate is a flat 30% of gross income.
1: Okay, yes. So for example, when you, if dividends are paid from the US to a foreign shareholder, They are not effectively connected, and hence the 30% withholding rate, or be it 15% or 5% or 0%, the withholding rate is applied to the gross payment without any deductions.
0: Yep, Mm -hmm. that's right.
1: Okay, so this whole concept of effectively connected, is that basically just about withholding tax?
0: Well, it's about rates. It's about where it goes uh, on the tax form. For example, if you're a non-resident, you're a member of a partnership, and a partnership is doing business in the U.S., yeah, and the partnership sends you a K-1, and the K-1 in- includes dividend interest income. We treat that as effectively connected. So that's taxed at the more favorable graduated rates. It's just passive income received by an individual, and it's, we have to treat it as, as not effectively connected.
1: And so not effectively connected income just receives its normal withholding rates. And when it's effectively connected, then you get taxed as a non-resident in the US. So then you would declare that income in a 1040NR for example if you are a non-resident an alien a non-resident alien in the US. Correct?
0: If it's effectively connected it's it's taxed at graduated rates and and those start at 10% and they go up depending on your income. If it is not effectively connected it's taxed at the flat 30% non-treaty rate. Now for Australians uh, there is a 15% rate on dividends. I don't know what the interest or what the rate is on interest, but there's a tax rate you get a reduced rate on not effectively connected income.
1: And so now looking at e-commerce, whether it's US sourced or not depends on whether it's manufactured by the taxpayer or not and where the stock is at the time of sale, correct?
0: Yeah, for, there's different rules for different whether it's manufactured or or, or purchased. And if it is uh, purchased then if it's sold to U.S. customers and title passes in the U.S., then it's U.S. sourced income.
1: And when it's manufactured overseas, then it's not U.S. sourced income.
0: That's correct. Yeah, I know the new uh, 2017 Act, that's true. It just depends on where it's made. That's where it's sourced.
1: If it's not connected to a U.S. trade or business, but it's U.S. sourced, would it then be taxable under primary U.S. tax law?
0: Yeah, if we're ignoring the treaty, it would be U.S. source. There's a rule in, in Section 864 that basically says if anything that is not specifically treated is deemed to be effectively connected, so you get the benefit of the doubt there. So even though somebody that uh, is, uh, is a non-resident that's selling inventory in the U.S., even though they can't demonstrate that they have a U.S. trade or business, the income is going to be uh, taxed as effectively connected.
1: So now Gary mentioned section 864 and we should look at that one. That section 864 is just a list of definitions. The first one, A, is relevant to us. It defines the term produced. So produced includes created, fabricated, manufactured, extracted, processed, cured or aged. So that is very straightforward under A. Where it gets complicated is under C, the definition of effectively connected income. And it's confusing because it refers to so many different paragraphs. In the next few U.S. updates, we will talk about the confusion around 882 and 864. Most likely will give us the solution so we will cover that later for now i just quickly want to read you the section that gary is referring to that basically says treat it as eci even if it's not eci and that is section 864 c so as you know c covers the definition of effectively connected income so 864 c and then number three and there it basically says all income gain or loss from sources within the united states other than income gain or loss to which paragraph 2 applies. And what paragraph 2 is, we look at another time. But if paragraph 2 doesn't apply, then all income gain or loss from sources within the United States shall be treated as effectively connected with the conduct of a trade or business within the United States. So basically, if you have U.S. sourced income, treat it as ECI, even if it is not ECI. That is 864 C3, and that is what Gary was referring to. It sounds like having a U.S. trade or business is actually good, because if you don't have a U.S. trade or business, then the sale of your inventory is U.S.-sourced income and hence would be subject to withholding tax rates. But because it's deemed to be connected to a U.S. TB, it means you have ECI, effectively connected income, and that is not subject to the withholding tax rates correct?
0: Not necessarily, but it it is subject to to the lower income tax rates. But for example, for a partnership with non-resident partners, there is, uh, and and there's various types of withholding, this is just an example, but if a a partnership is earning or receiving effectively connected income and that income is allocable to non-U.S. partners, there is a withholding requirement at the partnership level at the top rate, which is 37%. That's the only one of the very, very few situations where a partnership actually pays tax at the partnership level. Withholding goes in, it goes in with a form 8805 and, and an 8804 identifying the uh, the non-resident uh, partner. And, and this is to encourage the uh, non-resident partner to file a tax return. So the non-resident partner would then file a form 1040NR and attach the 8804 that the partnership or that the partner received from the partnership showing the withholding. And that is then a a credit on the non-resident tax return. It's a credit against the income shown on the non-resident tax return.
1: Gary, I'm a bit confused. And I think the confusion comes from something I've heard before, and that might not be correct what I heard before. You only pay tax in the US disregarding the treaty. You only pay tax in the US if you have a US trade or business, and I know it's a very gray area what exactly that is, but if you have a US trade or business, so a USTB, and you have effectively connected income, if you don't have effectively connected income or you don't have a USTB, then that income is not taxable in the US under US primary law. That was my understanding so far. And also, I learned before that US sourced income equals effectively connected income, which I now have learned is not true. US sourced income is not necessarily effectively connected income ECI. But you also said that very often it's deemed to be ECI, correct? So for example, for the sale of inventory, I think the starting position is that it is deemed to be ECI when it's US sourced, correct?
0: Uh, I'm sorry, you're talking about inventory?
1: Yes. For the sale of inventory, if it's U.S. sourced, it's deemed to be ECI, correct?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So if it's a deemed ECI, it also means there's a deemed U.S. trade or business, correct? Or not?
0: Well, that's it's basically the same thing. I mean, it, it doesn't matter that there isn't really a U.S. trader business. It's taxed as if there was, which simply means it's taxed at the graduated rate. But the income of a non-resident is taxed in the U.S. if it's U.S. source income. The fact that it is either effectively connected or not effectively connected is simply to determine how it is taxed, not if it is taxed. You get on the web and you can you can go to, to some websites and say, hey, you, you can avoid paying income tax in the United States if, if your income isn't either F, FDAP or, or effectively connected to U.S. trader business, simply not true.
1: FDAP, what does that stand for?
0: Fixed, determinable, annual and periodic.
1: So we have ECI and we have FDEP.
0: Well, you've got more than FDEP. You've got other things. If you go to uh, Section 872 of the Internal Revenue Code, well, if you look at 872, gross income for a non-resident, in the case of a non-resident alien individual, except where the context clearly indicates otherwise, gross income includes only gross income, which is derived from sources within the United States. And which is not effectively connected with the conduct of a trader business within the United States, and gross income, which is effectively connected with the conduct of a trader business within the United States. So that that definition starts with, is derived from sources within the United States. And so that defines what is taxed. Now, when it talks about gross income, which is effectively connected with the conduct of a trader business business, Within the United States. That part doesn't start with from sources within the United States. So you can have gross income, which is effectively connected with the conduct of a trader business within the United States, which is not US source income.
1: So you either have US sourced income that is not connected. Yeah. Or you have ECI that is connected to a US T B and then It's basically everything, any income that is running through this U.S. TB, no matter where it is sourced, is then pulled into the U.S. tax net.
0: That's right. And generally it's going to be, you know, generally that's going to be U.S. source income, but it doesn't have to be.
1: Yes. Yes. Whatever this U.S. trade or business is doing anywhere in the world is then pulled into the U.S. tax net It's then gross income that is subject to tax in the U.S.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Good. And so if we argue there is no USTB, then we would be in subsection one, gross income that is US sourced. And if we say, no, there is a USTB, then it would fall under section, subsection two, gross income, which is ECI.
0: Mm-hmm. There are specific sourcing rules, particularly in section 861. So there are types of income that are deemed to be US source and specifically and deemed to be non-US source specifically.
1: 861. 861 IRC. If we look at US sourced income, then we have to look for inventory. We have to look at whether it is manufactured by the taxpayer or whether it's purchased. And then depending on that, we can determine the US source based on where it is manufactured or where it is sold. But if we say that the sale of inventory happens through a USTB, then it doesn't matter where it's manufactured and it doesn't matter where it is sold because everything then is pulled in through the USTB. As ECI, correct?
0: Well yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Inventory is specifically mentioned that purchased inventory is an eight sixty-one A6, if it's sold to US customers.
1: But the source only matters if we don't have a US T B. If we have a US T B and it's ECI, then it doesn't matter where it is sourced.
0: That's correct. Yeah. If it's manufactured in a foreign country, then it's not US source.
1: Yeah, if it's manufactured under my control then it's not U.S. sourced. If it's manufactured overseas under the taxpayer's control, then it is not U.S. sourced, even if it's sold in the U.S. But that only matters as long as there is not a U.S. trade or business. If the U.S. trade or business manufactures overseas under their control, then it's still taxable in the U.S.
0: I think you're right there, yeah. If you look at Section 864, it talks about trade or business within the United States, talks about performance of services, And uh, it talks about effectively connected income, and under H sixty
1: four C three. Hold on, I'm just going there.
0: There's kind of a catch all. It says all income gain or loss from sources within the United States, other than income gain or loss to which paragraph two applies, and we have to go back and look at paragraph two. That's not effectively connected. Shall be treated as effectively connected with the conduct of a trader business within the United States. So. Unless it's specifically treated as not effectively connected, it is effectively connected, even though you really don't have a a trader business in the United States. All income gain or loss from sources within the United States, other than income gain or loss, which under paragraph two, it's specifically not effectively connected to a trader business, shall be treated as effectively connected with the conduct of a trader business within the United States. In other words, anything that isn't specifically classified as non effectively connected income is treated as effectively connected.
1: So it basically says everything that is US sourced is deemed to be effectively connected?
0: Unless it is specifically treated as not effectively connected. Yeah.
1: Okay. And effectively connected is always effectively connected with the conduct of a trade or business within the United
0: States. Well, that's what it means. But what the real meaning is it's taxed at the graduated rates. It goes on page one of the form 1040R or the 1120F or whatever it is. It doesn't go to the NEC schedule, which is taxed at a flat 30%. And I, I know there are there are websites, there's, there's people out there that tell you that um, it doesn't fall into one of these slots that, that even if it's US source, it's not taxed. And that's just not true. The starting point is if it is US source income and not effectively connected, or if it is actually effectively connected with the US trader business. It's US source income. It's taxed in the US.
1: Whenever a non-US person sells something in the US that was purchased, or that was manufactured in the US, whenever they sell something in the US, it is US sourced income, and it's deemed to be ECI, yep. and hence it's taxable in the US. So under US primary tax, basically any sale of inventory is subject to U.S. tax under U.S. tax primary law disregarding the treaty unless it was manufactured overseas. Yeah. Even if it is manufactured overseas, it still gets pulled in if it's done through USTB. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Unless the treaty comes in.
0: Unless the treaty comes in. But the treaty would come in for Australians. Uh, You've got partnerships, right, in Australia?
1: Yes. Are
0: you familiar with the entity and aggregate theory of partnerships?
1: No. Uh, I have a rough idea what you're hinting at, but it would be great if you could elaborate.
0: Well, for some purposes, a partnership, a U.S. partnership, is an entity, and certain things apply to the entity. And for other purposes, it's it's simply an aggregation of the partners. And so it isn't a taxable entity. When we have non-U.S. partners, there are special rules, and I talked about the withholding rule for non-resident partners. But the treaty would apply for Australian partners of the U.S. partnership because that income is deemed to be their income.
1: And so hence the treaty would apply unless they have a PE in the U.S. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That income would be shielded through the treaty. Right. So multi-member LLC, taxable income in the U.S., but it gets pulled out through the uh, treaty. Because there is no PE.
0: And when, the, when a treaty applies, we don't withhold. The statutory withholding requirement is, you know, you got to withhold at 37%. But that doesn't apply when either the partners are earning non-U.S. source income. And we're assuming that there's, it can be a U.S. partnership, but it isn't necessarily, they can be non-U.S. source income for a U.S. partnership. So we don't withhold on that income. And then the partner files the form 1040NR. And 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 we claim the uh, the treaty exemption,
1: or the partner files the eleven twenty F if the partner is a foreign yes. corporation. Yes, that's right. Welcome back. So. Gary's comments. Both US-sourced non-ECI income as well as effectively connected income is taxable in the states including income that is neither ECI nor FedEP. The only difference is how it is taxed, whether through a flat 30% withholding tax or a proper tax return if there is no treaty. In the next US update on Tuesday, US update number 16 let's talk with James Baker about US-sourced income That is neither ECI nor FEDEP because that seems to be the point of contention. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Klaus for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.